I want you to listen to consider how David expressed thanks to God from Psalm 144, verse 1. It's in your notes. He said, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. God taught David how to war and how to fight. It's very interesting. Consider what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Wouldn't it be absolutely wonderful in the flesh, in this life, if after we trusted Christ for salvation, right, the moment we were saved, that the world, the devil, and the flesh left us alone. If all three said, oh, wow, well, man, we're defeated now, so sorry, bro, got to let you go. I mean, wouldn't that just be great? That is so far from reality, is it not? We understand by now that until the rapture or death, physical death, that is, those three are not going anywhere. And they're never going to leave us alone. As long as we're in this flesh, in this life, those three are always going to be perennial enemies. As I was working through this, it brought me back to my son when he was in fourth grade. He's a sophomore in high school now, but when he was in fourth grade, he encountered his first bully. And I learned about this when <clears throat> I was at work, and I get this text message from Lori saying that, well, I just want you to know that I kept Ken home from school today, you know, and I could tell something was wrong. So I called and said, hey, what's, what's going on? And I learned that, well, there's this kid giving him a really rough time, and, and uh, he just couldn't take it today. So I'm like, Really? So it's like, well, you know, and so I had to, okay. So she, she's his mother, and she loves him, and she's, in the moment, she did what she thought was right, which I understood, so we had a very gracious discussion about that, where I communicated that, I, I understand your, your heart and your thought process, but the issue is, is he's got to go back tomorrow. I mean, like, that kid's not going anywhere, and he's got to go back to school, so when I got home, Ken and I sat down and we had a very frank, honest conversation where, because I really wanted him to understand the seriousness of this situation, it was a, a very strong teaching moment. So we sat down across from each other, man to man, so to speak, and I said, listen, I understand this is difficult, but I want you to understand that you're partly responsible for this because you have allowed this kid to treat you this way for a period of time. And what you need to understand is this, whenever you allow someone to abuse you, they are never going to stop until you teach them to stop. So you have given him permission to treat you this way, and he's not going to stop. So a couple of things. Uh, one, you are going to school tomorrow, and two, it ends tomorrow. This ends tomorrow. And here's how you're going to end it. You are going to approach him and you are going to explain to him the parameters of the relationship moving forward. They are this. I will respect you. You will respect me. I will not abuse you. You will not abuse me. Those are the terms. If you can't agree to those terms, if that's unreasonable to you, no problem. Don't ever speak to me again. But I will not be in a relationship with you where you get to abuse me. 
That's not going to happen. The bullying stopped instantly. Period. Okay? I mean, that's... Now, and again, <laughs> I told him too, listen, and if the kid wants to be unreasonable and he wants to get physical, I would never tell you to fight anyone, but once again, no one has a green light to abuse you. No one has the right to exercise power over you that is Christ alone, including your father. That's how this works. See, the devil, the world, and your flesh, they're never just going to stop. Because you're having a rough time. Or because you're discouraged. Or because you're losing. You have to learn how to counterpunch. Consider what we read in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. To resist means to stand against or to withstand. So, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have to learn how to resist the devil. You have to learn that. Because if you don't learn how to resist the devil... The devil, the world, through your flesh, are going to bully you and knock you around in life all the time. And you're going to be a, you're going to be a continual victim and a casualty spiritually. This is why some are so very deeply insecure. And they have horrible self-esteem. And they have this really poor self-image. I mean, this is their reality. And it's their reality because they haven't learned how to punch back with the reality that says, wait a minute, my fulfillment has nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do with Him. I'm completely filled in Christ. So it's, my, my self-esteem, my self-image, all of my self-worth, my self-value... None of that is found or wrapped up in me. That's all found and wrapped up in Christ. So to Sam's point this morning about the size 4 dress or the Bronco, my fulfillment is not in any of that stuff. That's in Christ. And so we learn a very basic principle here from Colossians chapter 2 that is absolutely vital for spiritual victory and spiritual warfare, and it is this. The only way to counter truth is with a lie, to counter lies with the truth. Okay? That's the only way that you counter a lie, is with the truth. That's the only way. And so the first counterpunch that we looked at last week, we extracted from Colossians 2, verse 10, where we, where we read that we are what? Complete in Him. We're complete in Christ. We are completely filled in Him. And we said last week that with that being true, if unfulfillment is a reality in the life of the believer, it's not because of Christ. It is because of the believer's lack of reckoning of that truth. But it is the truth nonetheless. And so as you're reading through Colossians, one of the things that stands out is you see it very clearly in chapter 1, but you also see it just throughout the book where you see these very long thoughts. And by that I mean the, these, these verses that don't end in a period. Where it ends in a colon or semicolon or, uh, uh, or, or something to that effect. And what is Paul doing? What he's doing is, is he's either defining a thought that he just made. 
or he's connecting two thoughts together as he's going from verse to verse. And you see that in verse 10 where it ends with a colon. We saw that last week and we pick it up today in verse 11 where Paul wrote, And whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. So, verse 10, we are complete in Christ, the head of all principality and power, colon. And so what we see here in verse 11 of of chapter 2 is Paul is now amplifying or defining what he has just said in verse 10. In other words, because we are complete in Christ, we have the circumcision of Christ. That's what you see there. Gnosticism at this point, it mirrored the heresy of the Judaizers. That's very clear because both added circumcision as a mandate for being accepted by God. Circumcision was, as we know, was God's covenant sign of Israel's consecration to him. So even in the Old Testament, whether you were a purchased slave or you were a stranger or a foreigner, if you were going to be added to the commonwealth of Israel, guess what? You had to be circumcised as a male. Whether you were 16 or 76, it did not matter. You had to be circumcised. Because the philosophy of the Gnostics at this point was, as we've said, was Jewish sophistry. And in that teaching, what they were saying was, being saved by grace through faith is far from enough. You've got to be circumcised. And Paul's point to them and to us was and is, you are. You are circumcised. Even as a Gentile, you are. In whom... Also, ye are circumcised. Now, here is what I believe to be a massive, game-changing principle as it pertains to victory in the Christian life, especially in spiritual warfare. This is huge. If you get this, if I get this, it's a game-changer. Consider this. Lies attempt to persuade us that we need something God has already given us or that we need something God does not want us to have. If you got that, that would be a massive difference maker. I've asked this question many times. I'll keep asking it. It's rhetorical, but I'll keep asking it because I do think about it. I want to ask you. Can you name one thing Adam and Eve did not have in the Garden of Eden when the serpent tempted them? What were they lacking? What were they missing? What could Satan have possibly offered them that would have enhanced their life? Let me know when you find it. You see, that, that, this is what I'm saying. This is a game changer. This is how Satan works. If he can convince you that you really do need something that, wait a minute, you already have, or you need something that God says, that's not good for you. He's one. He's one. 
the believers at Colossae were circumcised because they were in Christ who was and is the end of the law, Romans 10.4. That was the truth. Yet the lie was they were incomplete because they had not been physically circumcised. Here's where we're going in this second truth for counterpunching. And again, these are all massive. Listen, you've got to reconcile and agree with God. Listen, I am completely accepted in Him. I am completely accepted in Him. Under the law, circumcision was a mandate for being right with God or accepted of God. And Colossae, as we know, was comprised of Gentiles predominantly who are called uncircumcision. Consider what we read in Ephesians 2.11. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. But for us as Gentiles who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, at that moment, the Lord Jesus Christ performed a spiritual surgical operation. And Paul called it a circumcision made without hands. It was a procedure that, listen, put off the, 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 the sins of the body or the body of the sins of the flesh, right? And that's very intentional in terms of how that was worded because it was the spiritual equivalent to the physical practice of circumcision, which put off a piece of the flesh. But the circumcision made without hands, it did more than that because it put off all the sins of the flesh. It's Paul's point. So at salvation, a separation occurred. Christ spiritually circumcised you by separating the sins of the flesh from your soul and your spirit. That's what he did at salvation. It was and is a clear separation. In Christ, there is, and you have to get this, in Christ, there is a clear separation and recognition of God between the old man and the new man. God sees it very clearly. That's how he sees you. God sees the old man. He sees his flesh and the sinfulness of it. But he also sees the new creature that we are in Christ. That's how he sees it. This is one of the reasons that people do strange things because Satan has absolutely, here we go, has absolutely convinced and has some who are living in absolute torment and fear that they have not, believers that is, that they have not been accepted by God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I beg you to hear me. You have been, you are, and you will forever be accepted of God. Absolutely. But when you find yourself believing that lie, the things that you'll do. This is why men have, <coughs> excuse me, I am, my throat is my second time doing this, so um, I'm feeling it a little bit, so. Thank you. This is why you see episodes of 
men strapping suicide bombs to their bodies and flying airplanes into skyscrapers. Why? Because I want God's acceptance. This is a very effective lie of Satan. And those who buy it have done and will do radical things. The first mention of acceptance, we learn something very critical to this discussion. Consider Genesis 4, 6, and 7 in your notes. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, at a very high level, doctrinally speaking, Cain brought an offering from the fruit of the ground. Works. Abel, his brother on the other hand, brought an offering of the firstlings of his flock. Faith. God obviously accepted Abel's sacrifice or offering, but rejected Cain's. Why? Because Abel's sacrifice involved the shedding of blood. That's the issue. Cain's did not. So here's what we learn about acceptance. Okay? Acceptance is always based on God's grace and God's way alone. Acceptance is always based on God's grace and God's way alone. What is God's way? What does John 14, 6 tell us? Who is the way? <laughs> That's it. That is, that is the grace of God and the way of God. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ. If a believer is wrestling with eternal security, hear me loud and clear, I promise you, most certainly, they are as frustrated as Cain was. God, why aren't you, why isn't it never enough? What's wrong? I'm trying this, and I'm trying that, and I'm offering this, and I'm offering that. And God says, there's only one work that I will accept. And what is that work, God? It is the finished work of my son. But God, I've been baptized and I, I, I'm a part of this denomination and, 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 and I, I give this much and, and I, I don't do this and I wear that and I don't wear that. And, and God says, go for it all you want. But I do not accept any of that. There's only one work that I will accept and that is the work of my son. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The lie in that though is... To, uh, to convince you somehow that you've got to earn something as a believer that you already have in Christ. You know what that is? Acceptance. You already have it. I'll never forget, it's been many years now. I've been married for over 18 years. We've been married for a short time now, maybe three weeks at this point. And my wife asked me this question. I would imagine some ladies probably understand where she was coming from. But the question went like this. Why do you love me? And my answer was then and it would be now. But she's never asked this question since. I said, Lori, I love you because I love you. 
I know, but, but she wanted me to give a condition. I said, Lori, my answer is the same. I know it's not romantic, and Hollywood wouldn't agree, but based on what I know of Scripture, I love you because I choose to. If I said I love you because I think you're beautiful, well, what happens if she gets ill and her image changes? What happens if she gets into a car wreck and she's mangled and physically unattractive? What if she's crippled and bound to a wheelchair? What if I said, well, I love you because, you know, you're a really good wife. Well, I've been married 18 years, and listen, I love her, but that's not always the case, is it? That's not a slam against her. It's just reality. My point was, Lori, I said, Lori, there is nothing you could ever say, think, or do that would ever compel me to not love you. Until my last breath, I will love you. I don't care what your performance says. Up or down, I choose to love you. She's never asked that question again. Praise the Lord. You know what? I'm accepted. And guess what? My performance in the Lord changes, doesn't it? I'm certain there are days where the Lord's like, I am glorified. And I'm sure there are days where the Lord goes, I'm not pleased. But I'm accepted. Consider Ephesians 1 verse 6. Uh, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us, what? Accepted in the Beloved. According to Matthew 3.17, the Lord Jesus Christ is God's beloved Son. We understand that. As believers in His Son, guess what? We are in His Son. So, if God's Son is God's beloved, and we are in God's Son, that can only mean one thing. We are accepted of the beloved. <laughs> That's what that means. God accepts me because I'm in Christ. Now, that is the clear doctrinal teaching for the position of the believer in Christ. Completely accepted. However, I have lived long enough to know there's more to this story, practically speaking. Because some are in real bondage because of the rejection they have experienced from others. I want you to write this down. Rejection is not an elective in life, is it? It's not an elective. It's not a class you get to skip. And knowing the demographic of our class, we've all lived long enough now to have experienced rejection, haven't we? At this stage in your life, by now, you have been rejected by someone, as have I. Some were given up for adoption at a very young age and their entire life. They have struggled with feeling like they matter, struggled to feel like they are important or they are significant or loved. Maybe your parents had a favorite child and you were not it. Maybe you experienced rejection because of your race or your gender or some other thing like that. Maybe you've experienced rejection because you were 
not talented enough, or you weren't good enough, or you weren't whatever enough. You were separate from the rest of the group, and, and you felt that. That was reinforced to you in a very strong way. Maybe an ex-spouse left you for another person. Boy, that stinks. I was thinking about this as I was working through this. I dated a girl in high school, and and at that time, if you were asking me, I was going to marry her, and we're going to have a home and a white picket fence and a couple kids, and she went away to college and became a cheerleader and realized that there were quite a few guys that found her to be very attractive. Uh, she joined a sorority, and all of a sudden, I became dispensable. And that dream came crashing down violently. Ripped my heart out at the time. Really hurt. Felt rejected. I was rejected. But I tell you what, I hit the lottery. <laughs> I did really, really well. Thank God for how that all worked out. I wish her nothing but the best, by the way. Here's what I want you to get. Our complete acceptance in Christ overrules rejection from others. <laughs> Our complete acceptance in Christ overrules rejection of others. It doesn't matter who has rejected me or who rejects me. If Christ has accepted me, if I'm accepted in the Beloved, Sure, do I want to be liked and accepted? Of course, but hey, the fact that I'm accepted and the beloved, I'm good. I'm more than good. John 1.11, speaking of Christ, He came unto His own and His own received Him not. Jesus personally understands rejection. He was rejected by His own people. But Colossians 1.13, we read something about Him, don't we? What did we read? We read that he is God's dear son. So while the nation of Israel says he's not dear to us, God says he is to me. So guess what? While someone might look at you and despise you and throw you away, God says, you know what? Man, that guy, Kenny, he is dear to me. Todd is dear to me. Kwame is dear to me. Caleb is dear to me. Andrew is dear to me. It doesn't matter who looks at them and says otherwise. So, understand this. When the devil begins to whisper in your ear and remind you of all the people who have written you off and, and basically uh, reduced you down to nothing more than garbage, here's how you counter. You counter with, yeah, you're right. That person does hate me. That person despises me. But... I'm completely accepted in Christ. Yeah, I hear you, but I'm completely accepted in Christ. They hate, yeah, I know, man, but I'm completely accepted in Christ. Completely. Verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from so as we understand that water baptism is the physical uh, sign of an inward reality or an inward spiritual reality. 
in Christ, the body of the sins of the flesh have been put off. That's the old man. Where did they go? Paul just told you. They were buried with him in baptism. That's where they went. The sins of the flesh were separated from your soul and your spirit. And Christ took them with him when he was buried. Let that sink in your mind and in your heart. Like our circumcision that was made without hands, our baptism with him was performed without water. It's powerful. Our spiritual baptism occurred 2,000 years ago when Jesus was buried and it was applied to our account spiritually the moment that we trusted Christ for salvation. But listen, if spiritual baptism has the burial of the old man in view, then this brings us to a very critical third counterpunch. You ready? I am completely regenerated in Christ. I have to be. Because the old man's buried. So I'm a new creature. This is the spiritual rebirth of the believer in Christ, and it represents their identity. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are no longer identified by who you used to be and what you used to do in the flesh. That's buried. And that's important for many reasons because what I know for a fact is as we sit here today, I know this. There are some believers in Christ who are rejoicing in the state of the election And there are some believers in Christ who are mourning. Here's the message. As a believer in Jesus Christ, your identity cannot be tied to any political party or any presidential candidate. Has nothing to do with it. Can I tell you what I found to be so disturbing as I'm watching the media and all the stuff going on? And people celebrating and all that. And again, it wouldn't matter how the results shook out. But I look at these people and I go, man, these people really have faith in this man. They really do. They really think, whether it was Trump or Biden, they really think this guy is their answer. My heart breaks. What does the Bible tell you in Psalm 118 verse 8? It is better to trust in the Lord than what? Than to put confidence in man. These people have confidence in a man. God says that can't work. It won't work. This is part of the issue that I have from an identity standpoint. This is part of the issue I have with rehab programs. I think they're well-meaning. I think they have nothing but great intentions. But here's where I struggle with them at a certain point. Subconsciously, they encourage people to identify themselves by their struggle. That's your identity. Your struggle defines you. For the believer in Jesus Christ, that is biblically backwards. Your struggle does not define you. As we're going to see in Colossians chapter 3, after we're told to mortify our members which are upon the earth, listen to what the Apostle Paul went on to say in verses 6 and 7. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked, past tense, 
when ye lived past tense in them. Remember, there is a clear separation between the old man and the new man. You walked in those things, you lived in those things, but that's not who you are now. So you cannot identify yourself with those things. Why? Because those things have been put off and they have been buried. But this explains why some believers are still doing exactly that. They have not reconciled the implications of their spiritual baptism. This is why there are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ all over this country who will sit in rehab groups this week and will sit in a circle and will tell one of the biggest lies that is ever told. And it goes like this. Hi, my name is George and I'm a drug addict. If George is a blood-bought, blood-washed child of God, he just told a lie. George is not a drug addict. Is that how Christ sees him? No. No. No, no, he says, no, actually, bro, uh, you're a joint heir. Uh, Who is in you? Christ, the hope of glory, Colossians 1. What's your position, George? Well, actually, I read somewhere that you've been made to sit together in heavenly places. I've read somewhere, George, that God gives you the victory. I've read somewhere, George, that you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh, George, I've read somewhere that uh, God always causes you to triumph in Christ. Uh, George, I've read somewhere, bro, that my man, you are complete in him. So for you, George, to sit in this circle with those realities and say your name is George and you are a drug addict, I promise you, you have just grieved God. You are not that in Christ. You are not that. Does this make sense? You are George, a new creature. Those old things, what, what's happened to them? I'm telling you, if Satan can get you here, he's got you. And we close with this. Too many believers magnify their water baptism, but minimize their spiritual baptism. Have you ever noticed that? Water baptism is, and it should be, a very big deal. But understand this. Without a spiritual baptism first... There can be no water baptism. Does that make sense? But we make such a big deal about the water. I get it. But it's the spiritual baptism that if we reckon that, we can fight and we can win. 
I want you to hear this. Today or this week, you're going to get an offer. I promise you. You're going to get an offer. Satan and this world are going to proposition you through your flesh with something at some point in your life would have been very attractive to the old man who has been buried. I don't know what it is. You probably know what it is. There's going to be a knock on the door of your heart and your mind. And it's going to be Satan in the world showing up and propositioning your flesh. And they say, hey, you know, I'm looking for so-and-so who used to live here. And you know what your response should be? I know who you're talking about. But I'm here to tell you that he died and was buried 25 years ago. And the guy that lives here now is not interested in what you're offering. Because I am completely regenerated in Christ. So, be on your way as I am mine. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. I beg you, Lord, would you help it to sink in our hearts? Would you help us to reckon it in our minds? In Jesus' name, amen.